Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I'm a little sleepy, too. I get it. <laughs> uh, hey, that was Matt. Matt's been here since June, and that was his first time hosting today. I think he did a great job, don't you? I think, I think it was awesome. If you don't, if you don't know Matt, uh, one thing you ought to know is that he is the kind of guy that just does anything that you'll ask him to do. Um, and uh, he is our student, serving as our student pastor, so he's here on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights with students, but he has, for the last five or six weeks or so, been serving in our Gen Kids ministry as uh, the person who comes in and gets everything set up and ready to go, as we've not had a Gen Kids director for the last few, few weeks. I'm happy to tell you, if you, haven't, if you don't get our e-news, I'm happy to tell you that we've hired someone, a Gen Kids coordinator, and she starts uh, on Sunday. Her name is Victoria Fluger. Uh, she's coming to us from Fort Wayne. She starts this coming Sunday, but she won't be here. She'll actually be in Carmel, kind of learning the ropes over there, but she'll be here the following Sunday. But Matt has been that guy uh, for the last five weeks. So Matt, thank you so much for being flexible. He had double duty today, and so I'm really thankful for him. Uh, our TV is a little tired today too, but it seems to be working now, so hopefully uh, it's good. I'm, good. I'm a little tired today. I'm gonna need your energy. Um, I. I've, got, I've been having some bad dreams. I've got a couple of recurring dreams uh, that I've had a lot of my life. And because I've had them a lot of my life, I've started to do a little research on why people have the dreams that they have. And I wonder maybe if you, do you guys have recurring dreams? Like you have the same dream over and over again, like several times a year, yeah? Okay, good. So maybe this is not me. One dream that I have a couple times a year is that I witness a plane crash. Anybody else ever witness a plane crash in their dreams? Only one other person is my wife. I'm married to her. So uh, I thought this was a little bit weird, but I, I could be working in the yard or driving in my car and I'll look up and I'll see smoke coming from the tail of a plane and I'll watch this plane go down. Now, uh, a lot of dream experts will tell you that airplanes are symbolic. When, an airplane is, when you see an airplane flying in your dreams, it's symbolic of something going well in your life. Like you've got uh, some expectation or something that's happening that's, that's going really well. And so when there's a plane crash, obviously that's not a good thing. It could be a sign of like some inner turmoil, like your waking thoughts and your subconscious thoughts are not the same or that something's happening in your life or that you have a fear that something in your life is not going to go well. But in my dreams, I'm not on the plane. So I've never been in a plane crash in my dreams. I've only watched the plane crash in my dreams. And so I, there is actually some research on this that experts say your brain is worried that you're setting too high of an expectation for yourself. And that that expectation, that kind of makes sense, right? The expectation is going to crash. So instead of like, instead of training to run a marathon, maybe I should be training to eat an entire column of Oreos in one sitting or something like that. The expectations are too high. So if you work on setting more realistic expectations, those dreams will go away. Now, the second dream I have is much more common. And I know that this is a dream rooted in anxiety. But in my dream, uh, there's, uh, I'm running away from something. It might be a person or a, a creature, could be anything, but I find that I can't run. Do you, do you guys have this dream? Anybody have this dream? Like you, you can run physically, but you feel like you're running through molasses. Like there's, there's some resistance that's happening. And so you can't run nearly as fast as you can. No matter how hard you run, you can't get away. Do you know that feeling, the feeling of resistance? You feel that maybe in your dreams, maybe you feel it in real life. If you're uh, in a canoe or a kayak, you know that it's easier to go downstream on the river than to go upstream. If you ever try paddling upstream, there's a lot of resistance, right? If you ride your bike, it's a lot easier to ride 
with the wind than to ride into the wind, right? There's a lot more resistance if you go into the wind. Or like me, I'm a runner. Running downhill is much easier than running uphill. There's a lot less resistance. So today, I don't want to talk about physical resistance today. I want to talk about spiritual resistance. Because even if you don't know the feeling of running uphill or riding your bike into the wind, you may know what it's like to be the only follower of Jesus where you work. Or you may know what it's like to be the only person in your class or in your grade or in your dorm who's trying to live the right way. Or you may even know what it's like to be the only Christian in your family, and chances are, if that's you, you might face some resistance. Now, I don't know how you see it, but I notice a growing resistance in this country and in this world to followers of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about how people want to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas or how what used to be Easter break when I was a kid is now called spring break. But what I mean is that many of the deeply held, like religious beliefs that come from a biblical worldview are under attack from our culture. And when did the tide shift? Well, no one can say for sure. It's probably happened over time, but many people point to the sexual revolution in the 1970s as kind of the tipping point. But regardless of when it changed, you see it everywhere. You see it in our TV shows, in our movies, you hear it in our songs, and certainly in our schools and in our own neighborhood. But here's what I want to tell you. Today's message is not a culture war message, okay? This is not, I'm not here to say that all the problems of our society are the result of an evil world. Because the truth is that we, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as the church, we bear some responsibility for how the world views the church and how the world views Christians. And because of that, how the world views the message of Jesus. We we sometimes get so caught up in fighting the culture war that we forget to show people the love that Jesus told us that we were supposed to share and that he embodied personally. And we Christians, we sometimes get so anxious and so afraid and even outraged with change in our society that it turns people away from the gospel. Yes, there is a resistance. There's a force at work. It's fighting directly against Christians, the church, and the good news of Jesus. And I hate to say it, but I think it's going to get worse. I I think here in the United States, I think in the world, that there are more challenging days ahead of us as followers of Jesus. But why should that surprise us? And more importantly, what I want to look at today is how does Jesus call us to respond? So if you've got your Bibles, open them to John chapter 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some blue Bibles on the table in the back of the room. They look like this. And uh, you can take one of those with you. It's our gift to you. We've, we've been reading through the book of John this year, and we're up to John chapter 15, but we want you to be reading along with us. In fact, we're in this series called Grow. It's a year-long series. And if you are new, uh, maybe you're just checking us out, uh, I want to invite you in. There uh, are journals at the Info Hub, you can grab one of those. It's absolutely free. And inside there, there's a reading list uh, that goes through Thanksgiving. And so you can join us and uh, be reading along with us every week as we study the book of John today. Uh, we're in the middle of John 15. And let me just review, for those of you who have missed the last few weeks, what we've, what we've been through with Jesus in the last few weeks. Uh, they were together. Jesus was together with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, right before, uh, during Passover, and Jesus washed their feet. He served them by washing their feet. And then they shared a meal together, a final meal. Uh, Judas has left the table and is in the process, for, process of arranging for Jesus' arrest. Uh, he's getting ready to betray Jesus. And Jesus and his disi- the rest of his disciples are on their way to Gethsemane. And Jesus is preparing them, the disciples, to 
carry hope to a hurting world. They're basically going to take his place as the messenger of good news when he is killed uh, on the, the next day. And so he tells them about the promise of heaven. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Then he tells them about the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that at Federal Hill on Labor Day. If you were there, you may remember that. And then as we discussed last week, he helps them understand what the most important thing that we can be doing as followers of Jesus is, and that's to be abiding in Christ. And as he's preparing them, he reminds them one more time that they need to love one another. No, wait, that's not right, is it? Yeah, in verse 17, he's going to tell them to love one another again. Why would he again remind his disciples how important it is for them to love one another? Well, I think we're going to see that as we get further in this passage, why that's important. He's going to remind them to love one another, and then he's going to warn them about persecution they're going to face. And as he's doing that, he's also reminding us and telling us about the persecution that we, followers of Jesus, are going to face. How do you love in a world that hurts you, uh, hates you? How do you exist in a world that is going a different direction? So let's look to Jesus for guidance. Uh, see what he says. We're going to start in verse 18. John 15, 18 starts like this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. And now, sometimes in the Bible, the, the word world that we see there means the earth, okay, like the created world. And sometimes it means the people of the world. And the world that Jesus speaks of is, is the people aspect. It's humanity organizing itself without God. It's a, it's a different philosophy. It's a different set of values. It's, it's a different worldview. It's humanity living by a completely different set of rules. Jesus says the world is going to hate you because you want to live by a different set of rules. But Jesus came to reverse that trend. You may know that John 3.16 says this. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You probably know that verse. Maybe you memorized it in grade school if you grew up in church. Maybe uh, you saw it in a sign at a football game and you decided to look it up and see what it meant. Regardless, it's one of the best known verses in the Bible. But do you know what the verse right after John 3.16 says? John 3.17. It says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came to save the world. Jesus came to save the world. Now, not the earth, okay, not the planet. Jesus is not recyclops, okay, but the people of earth, the people without God. Jesus came to save them. He came to save us. And while many people embrace that message and receive the gift of salvation, Many others reject it. They rejected Jesus 2,000 years ago, and they reject him still today. In fact, some people oppose Jesus so aggressively that Jesus would use the word hate. He said, they hated me, and they're going to hate you too. Now, what does Jesus mean by hate? I think what he's trying to tell us, to tell his disciples and to warn us, is don't be surprised when the world opposes you. Don't be surprised when they make laws and policies that force you into a corner, that cause you to make tough decisions. Uh, Jesus warned his disciples, and he reminds us today, when they oppose you, when they, you really start to feel that resistance, just remember that they hated me too, and you belong to me. And by the way, be encouraged, okay? 
When you feel that resistance, if, look, if you never face resistance to the world, like if nobody's ever told you that maybe you're taking this whole Jesus thing a little too far, well, maybe that's a warning sign because you're conformed too much to the world. You look too much like the rest of the world. And the Apostle Paul reminds us about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. And remember that Jesus has you here in this place, in this world for a reason. You're in your neighborhood for a reason. You're in your school for a reason. You're in your workplace for a reason. You're in your small group for a reason. And that reason is to be a light in those places, to be a light to the world in the dark places. You're supposed to be like salt, the Bible tells us, to bring flavor and life and wholeness to a broken world, but you can't do that if you look exactly like the world. Jesus says, I chose you. You belong to me. In fact, he says, I have chosen you out of this world. The implication there is that you were once part of the world and now you're not. Now I'm talking to Christians right now. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you, okay? But Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world. You were part of the world. Now you're not. You were once part of the people without God, but now you're not. At one time it was okay to fight as the world fights, but now it's not. This is not your home. This is not where you're from. You are a citizen of heaven. You're not a citizen of earth. Uh, Jesus chose you. He saw you. He knows you. He picked you up out of the muck and out of the mire, out of this world, and he lifted you up and placed you in the kingdom of God. But many of us are still living like the stuff here is all the best stuff. When Jesus tells us, hey, in this world, they're going to hate you. And then he goes on, John 15, 20 says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey you also. There's a positive in here as well, you see. They will treat you this way because of my name, they do not, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So Jesus is telling us that once we know the truth of Jesus, we're responsible for a decision that we make, right? And he says, verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. He says, they do not know the one who sent me. The world, they do not know my father. See, the arrival of Jesus represents a major change in the world, especially with the way that we're able to relate to God. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created a world for people to exist in, a perfect, it was a perfect world. It was a world without sin, where men and women could live in harmony with each other and with God. Uh, But we disobeyed by walking away from God. We chose our own way, and we, the Bible calls that sin. And we can sit here all we want and blame Adam and Eve for all the problems of this broken world, but the truth is that you and I, we still do that today. Like, we still choose our own way. We still choose to sin. Adam and Eve did it, and that was a tragedy, but the real tragedy of Eden is not that it happened, but that it's still happening even today with you and I. When we choose to go our own way, we sin. We choose our way over God's way. And that leaves an emptiness inside of us. And we try to fill that emptiness with all the stuff of this world, right? Some of us pursue money or success to try to fill that empty feeling. Others of us try to be the very best at something, and so we devote a lot of time and energy to practicing and getting better at something of little eternal value. Still others of us 
don't like that feeling of emptiness, so we try to numb it by, with drugs or alcohol or pornography. But the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that God is rich in mercy. And so that while we were still sinners, while we were still trying to fill that void ourselves, God sent his only son, Jesus, to fill it for us. And he came to earth and he lived a sinless life and he died a tragic, horrible death on the cross to pay for our sin, for our disobedience and our rebellion. But he didn't stay dead because on the third day, God raised him up from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we have a choice. We have the option to turn to Jesus and trust him with our lives or to continue to go our own way. I think you can see that Jesus creates the real dividing line. That's what scripture tells us. There are really only two kinds of people in this world. There are Republicans and Democrats, right? No, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there are people who trust Jesus with their eternity and those who try to figure it out on their own. And for those who believe in his name, he gave us the right to be called the children of God. And for those who reject him, well, it's a life of trying to figure this thing out for themselves. And unless something changes, it's a life eternally separated from God in hell. So let me ask you, which, which side are you on? Jesus goes on, verse 25, he says, but this is to fill, fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Now, Jesus says, keep in mind, whatever you experience, I experienced too. People hated me when I was young. They hated me when I was older. They rejected me all the way to the cross. In fact, this passage that Jesus, uh, if you're reading this in your Bible, you might see there's a little footnote right here after verse 25 that points to an Old Testament passage. That Old Testament passage is Psalm 69. Now, the 69th Psalm is a well-known messianic Psalm. I know that's a big word, but it basically means it is a psalm that predicted this Messiah or this Savior for Israel. It predicted the life of Jesus. And let me show you a little bit about what Psalm 69 said Jesus' life would be like. Look at this verse 7. Psalm 69, 7 says, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. In other words, he says, while I mourn, people laugh at me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. And in that moment, when Jesus is quoting this Old Testament passage to them, he's telling his disciples, the way they felt about me, they're going to feel about you too. Remember, the cross for for these disciples, the cross is just hours away from this moment. And the next few days are going to be some of the most difficult days of their entire lives. And while they can't see the other side of the cross to the resurrection, Jesus can. He knows what's coming. He knows the story ends well. And he's got big plans for his disciples. He's going to use them to take the good news of Jesus to the rest of the world. Are they going to go through persecution? You better believe they are. But help is on the way. Look at what he tells them, verse 26. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify about me, for you have been with me from the beginning. So as he's sending out his disciples on this mission, he tells them, hey, help is on the way. I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send a helper. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to send the spirit of truth, the advocate. 
And the mission that Jesus had for those disciples is the same mission Jesus has for you and me. He wants us to take the good news to the rest of the world. We will face persecution, just like the disciples face persecution. But take heart, because our help isn't on the way. Our help is here. There is a helper. We don't have to face this alone. Uh, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. The disciples don't have the Holy Spirit yet. That doesn't come till Acts chapter 2. But guess what? If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you already have the Holy Spirit living inside you. God himself is in you. Jesus himself is in you. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are closer to Jesus right now than these disciples were standing around him listening to him talk. If Jesus is Lord of your life, his power is in you. He's there for you when you don't know what to say. He's there for you when something tough comes up at work and you don't know how to respond. The Holy Spirit is in you when you face big decisions with your kids or with your parents. The Holy Spirit is there for you when a teacher or professor tries to tear down everything that you thought you knew. He's there for you when you have to step out into a hostile world. And sometimes the world is a place we just don't want to step out into, right? Uh, last weekend, our family was uh, walking around downtown Carmel and it started to sprinkle and we hadn't eaten yet. So we kind of ducked into this restaurant to grab dinner. And while we were there, the, the heavens just opened up and it started pouring down rain. If you remember how much rain we had last Saturday night, we were sitting at dinner and watching this take place. And our check came right at the time that another downpour started and we didn't know what to do. We, we Kind of, we had parked like four or five blocks away because we were walking around this beautiful night and then it all of a sudden started pouring down rain. And so we looked around the table and I thought about doing like rock, paper, scissors or whatever, but I looked around and I realized something in that moment. There was only one person at that table who was dad, right? Uh, there was only one person at that table. And what that means is I had the car keys. And so um, I did what dads do. I hiked up my shorts I ran outside in my flip-flops and I ran the four or five blocks to the car, stepping in two puddles that were about that deep, almost losing my shoe. I got right to the car to where I could push the little key fob button to unlock the door and it stopped raining. (laughs) And I got in the car and I went and picked up my family and I know they were looking at me thinking, why are you so wet right now? Sometimes we just don't want to step out into the world, right? Even when we know we're supposed to go out in it, we don't want to go out in it. But as followers of Jesus, we have to go out into the world because we are here on purpose. We're not here by accident. We have an assignment, a responsibility to help others find their way back to God. So the question is, how do we do it? Like if Jesus has given us this responsibility to go share the good news, to to spread the good news of Jesus to a world that doesn't want to hear it, often. How do we do that? I got three things I want to share with you uh, as we start to wrap up here. Three ways that we can respond to growing resistance in the world. And the first one is this. It's just what we talked about last week. It's to stay connected to Jesus. As Paul reminded us uh, last week, John, the first part of John 15 tells us that we have two choices. We can abide or we die. Right, the, the, We abide, we remain attached to the vine. The Bible says that Jesus is the vine and we're just branches. That when that branch gets cut off from the vine, what happens? It dies. We can abide in Christ or we can die. Staying connected is the key to life and the key to bearing fruit. Now, abiding just means doing life with Jesus every day. It's, it's knowing his word. 
it's, it's knowing God's truth. It's hiding it in your heart so that when you find yourself in a place without your Bible, maybe without your phone, uh, you've got some tools that you can use to fight that resistance when it comes along. It's, it's not just knowing God's word, though. It's living God's word. It's embracing it. It's, it's teaching your kids so that they can pass it on, too, if you have kids. Uh, staying connected also means having ongoing dialogue with God. It, it's praying, right? It's prayer. Uh, you can have ongoing conversation with God. If you've got a difficult conversation coming up with a person, maybe you need to talk to God about that before that happens. If you've got a big decision to make, you need to talk to God before that happens. And, and invite other people to talk to God for you and with you about that too. Uh, you can invite other people into prayer, which means that you've got to be connected with your church family. You know, we, we are stronger together. We need one another. Our connection groups are especially helpful for this. I got to tell you, I've told you this for the last few weeks, but if you're just joining us on Sunday mornings, you are missing out. You're missing out on one of the best benefits of being part of a church family. The only way we can possibly overcome resistance and persecution is by staying connected to Jesus every day. The second way that we can fight off the resistance in this world is to not return evil with evil. Now, don't get caught up in the rage. Don't get caught up in the fighting and the vitriol. Look, I know that sometimes there's an overlap between what's happening in politics and what's happening in our faith. But I have to tell you that no political party in the United States or in the world that I know of perfectly mirrors the politics of Jesus. And so what happens is that we think our political views and our faith views go hand in hand. But what happens when difficulty comes is they often get really tangled up until we can't tell where one ends and the other one starts. And so a lot of times what happens in that case is that the politics is more pressing. It's more current. It has immediate ramifications, whereas our faith has more eternal ramifications. And so what happens? We let our politics drive our faith, and our faith can become a convenient excuse for what we already believe politically. But it shouldn't be that way. If, if your cause drives your faith, that's backwards. If your view of Christ drives your ideology, though, drives your cause, you'll realize that your battle is not against other people. Your battle is not against your neighbor. It's not against your school principal. It's not against a member of Congress. As Jesus said, our battle is against evil and the evil one, Satan. We have a very real enemy in this world, and he's the one behind the resistance. He's the one that's waging war in this world, and he's the source of all the confusion and the resistance and the fighting. And he loves it when God's people join in the fray and contribute to the chaos because he knows how our minds work. And he knows that we can easily be convinced to hate people on the other side of what we believe, which is directly opposed to what Jesus told us. That's why we can't forget Jesus' command. What was his command? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. He had to remind us, the world is going to hate you. So you've got to love one another. Now, does that mean that Christians should be just silent, sit on the sidelines and take it? No, no, that's not what it means. But as we think about our response, we think about the actions that we take, as we think about the words that we say and the things that we post, we need to be constantly asking and praying and discerning, what would Jesus do 
if he were me? Am I responding the way that Jesus would have me respond? Now, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it's crystal clear. There are some very complicated issues in our world right now, and Christians are going to continually feel the struggle and the resistance, and we're going to find ourselves in some very precarious situations, and that's why abiding in Jesus is so important. That's why seeking wisdom from God's word matters. That's why having brothers and sisters in your life who will keep you straight and set you straight and help you discern is so critical. But the bottom line is don't return evil with evil. Be patient. Be prayerful about your response. And remember, the Bible tells us that when we have the Spirit living inside of us, it produces some fruit. That the fruit of that Spirit is things like love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Okay, the third thing we can do to help spread God's word in a hostile world is to not be afraid to stand firm. We've got to stand firm. Be bold. Don't back down from what you believe. Don't hesitate to share your faith and don't hesitate to share your story. Remember, people can always argue if you quote something from scripture, but they can't argue with your story. Like, it's your story. It happened to you. You, you can tell the truth about Jesus because you have the Holy Spirit. You have an advocate that's living inside of you. You can share your hope. You can share your faith. And don't respond in anger, but with grace. You can trust the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, right? It's not your job to change hearts. You, I, I have not had any success ever in my life changing someone's heart. Maybe you have. I haven't, but I know God changes hearts but you can be obedient to what God's called you to do and let him do what only he can do. And then when it gets hard, when it gets hard, when, not if, when it gets hard, remember that Jesus, as he's sharing this message, he, he knew what was coming for the disciples. Let me just turn the page there to John 16, verse two, and take a look at this. He tells them this, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And Jesus says, I have told you about this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And that's exactly what happened to those disciples. Over the next few days, they scattered. They rejected Jesus. They fell apart, but then Jesus rose from the dead and one by one, the disciples came back together and 40 days later, Jesus ascended into heaven and 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit came down upon them just like Jesus had promised and everything changed. And these men who so quickly abandoned Jesus when things got hard and the heat got turned up, they started living boldly and courageously and faithfully in this world. And all but one of those men died brutal deaths for Jesus. Why? What enabled them to live boldly and courageously? Well, it was because these men had been with Jesus. They saw that he was real, that his life was real, that his death was real, that his resurrection was real, and that his love was real. But more importantly, they were abiding in him through the power of the Holy Spirit in them. But I want to show you one last thing, and it's what Jesus really wanted his disciples to know, and I, I feel like it's what he wants us to know as we leave this place today. In John 16, 1, he says this, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. There's a very easy temptation when things get hard and the resistance gets stronger 
to just step away from our faith. It'd be a lot easier just to grasp onto what I already know, what I already believe, what I already think is right, and not worry about what the Bible says, or what Jesus says, or what my prayers tell me. Or, and just let's just go do what I wanna do in a way that I think is right. <laughs> Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't fall away. Don't give in, don't give up. No matter how hard it gets, remember, it was hard for me too. But he says, I will be with you. I will go with you and I have everything you need. Let's remember that as we pray today. Heavenly Father, I'm just blown away by the foresight Jesus had to give us this message that if the world hates us, remember that it hated him first and that our command was to love one another and to go be hope in this hurting world. And Jesus, it's so hard sometimes to take your message and to get out in this world where it's, it's hostile. It's a hostile place out there. There are people who don't wanna see your message succeed. They don't wanna see us as Christians succeed. Uh, they would rather see us fall away. There are people out there who celebrate it when another Christian leader falls, who celebrate it when another high profile Christian steps away from their faith or fails. And Lord, we don't want that. We, we want your kingdom to grow and to, to, to thrive and to multiply the number of people who are following you. We wanna populate heaven and empty out hell. And Lord, that is our goal. We want people to find their way back to you. And so help us to be the very best ambassadors for your kingdom and your message that we can be. Help us, to remind, help us to remember that we have a firm foundation in Christ and in your word that we can stand on anytime that we're worried about what we're gonna share or who we're gonna share with, or we feel that resistance or we feel that hatred. Lord, remind us that we are in Christ. We are not of this world, that you have pulled us out of this world and you have chosen us and you have given us a responsibility to go find people and bring them into your kingdom. And when that happens, we will give you all the praise and all the glory you deserve for it, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.